How would you describe the culture of your organization? Some might say it's the smell of the place or it's how things are done around here. The ultimate statement on the importance of strategy may have been Peter Drucker's familiar saying, culture eats strategy for lunch. But how can you change your culture? In today's podcast, we'll propose what organizations can do to change their culture. Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zanger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th percentile. I'm Brianna Corin, and joining me today is my friend and leadership guru, Jack Zanger. Nice to be with you. Now, Jack, you said that there are two possible ways for organizations to effectively change their culture. We happen to think that these are the most powerful and the most certain. And the two ways that you proposed are change your leaders. And the second is change your leaders. <laughs> now, some may be a little confused by that statement. Uh, would you like to elaborate? Yes, we know that these may sound alike, but we mean them to be different. The first is to change the mindsets and the behavior of the existing leaders. And that's the one we strongly advocate. The second is necessary if the first one fails. In some cases, the only solution to changing culture is to bring in one or more new leaders as a last resort. Research done on culture and organizational performance by Cotter and Heskett years ago defined culture as the gained knowledge, explanations, values, beliefs, communication, and behaviors of a large group of people at the same time and same place. They concluded that differences in culture explain why one company succeeds where another one fails. Consider Apple versus BlackBerry or Target versus Kmart. It wasn't just the strategy that determined the success of the company, it was the culture. So in an article I recently read by McKinsey Consulting Firm, the authors, analyze more than 170 cultural topics that were impacting employee attrition in different Fortune 500 companies in the period from April to September of 2021. And they found the number one problem was a toxic culture. It was 10.4 times more likely to contribute to attrition than compensation. And that, that was surprising <laughs> to me. That's really big. They said that interacting right now is easier than ever, but true, productive, value-creating collaboration is not. So as companies seek to define you know, their approach to a hybrid work pattern that combines working in an office and working remotely, it's vital that organizations build this positive culture for employees working both in and out of the office. Now, Jack, you've been a part of many, many different company cultures throughout the years. And as a CEO of different companies, you've had a role in creating those cultures. I remember when I came to Zanger Folkman way, way back in 2010, uh, you talked about wanting to create a place where people wanted to come to work every day, that that was really important to you, that they weren't dreading coming to work, 
They wanted to be there. So once you establish the culture that you want to establish, how does it shift over time? Well, it's virtually impossible for a company culture to remain static. As the economy and each industry changes, company culture needs to adjust. Unfortunately, companies often wait too long to adjust their culture. Doing so may mean walking away from a current business model, which can be risky, or it may be just that enacting change is viewed as requiring more effort than it's really worth. In a survey of executives from 91 companies with revenue greater than $1 billion, across more than 20 industries, the firm Innosight asked, what is your organization's biggest obstacle to transform your culture in response to market change and disruption? 40% of the survey respondents blamed day-to-day -day decisions that essentially pay the bill, but undermine our stated strategy to change. That's interesting. The next most popular answer at 24% was a lack of a coherent vision for the future. The consequence of this failure to adapt is illustrated by the Fortune 500 list. When it was initiated in 1955, the average time on the Fortune 500 list was 75 years. Today, it is 14 and a half years. In other words, only 10.4% of the Fortune 500 companies in 1955 have remained on that list during the 64 years since. And more than 89% of the companies from 1955 have either gone bankrupt, merged, or were broken up. Wow. If change was as easy as a directive or a new strategy, then the companies that made 1999's Fortune 500 list would not need, need to wave goodbye to the 209 of the 500 or 42% of all their peers a mere 10 years later. Imagine that. 10 yeah. years later, 42% were gone. The roughly 50% that start 1999's Fortune 500 and also make the 2009 Fortune 500 should realize that staying present means staying culturally engaged. The S&P 500 with a century worth of data shows that in 1958 firms stayed on that list for an average of 61 years. By 1990, that plummeted to 20 years and it's forecast to shrink to 14 years by the year 2026. If the current trajectory continues, half of the S&P 500 firms will be replaced within 10 years. Wow. So what are the options then for changing company culture over time? You know, several possibilities exist to change your company culture. Um, hiring a new senior executive is often the solution that organizations choose or embarking on some new focused strategic initiative, such as increasing innovation. That's a, another way. Or restructuring the organization. But you know, years ago into that discussion, the CEO of GE, the, the noted Jack Welch, offered one more possibility. He said, if you want to change the culture of an organization, change the way it develops its leaders. It's worth analyzing how changing leadership development could improve company culture. Our research at Zenger Folkman has shown that the strong influence leaders have on every measurable business outcome. 
employee engagement, innovation, intention to stay, productivity, sales, performance, and, and customer satisfaction. If you use the metaphor of these leaders as the rudder of a ship moving through the water, Welch's argument becomes clearer. Even though the leadership team is a relatively small part of the organization in terms of their numbers, they have enormous influence on the ship's direction, and in short, they shape the culture. Creating a more effective rudder of the ship has a profound impact on how fast it turns and on the stability of its direction. Absolutely. Jack, it's, it's hard not to find critics of company-sponsored leadership development. And you have written about many of the criticisms. And you said the cynic argues, after all the time and money we spend on leadership development, why don't we have better leaders? And some argue that leadership development is often detached from the corporate strategy. Others say that the methods employed don't have the power to truly change behavior. And still, others observe that there is insufficient follow-through and managerial involvement. So much of the criticism is justified. However, many organizations are working to eliminate these barriers to success. Yes, and, and conversely, there are wonderful examples of success. Some organizations see elevated 360-degree feedback scores for their executives over time. Many firms have rising employee engagement scores. Business outcomes, such as customer satisfaction scores, are improving. Such outcomes can be directly tracked back to deliberate leadership development initiatives. You have written that leadership development can be significantly improved through the following methods. And I wanted to share some of these suggestions. So the first was increasing the involvement of the immediate manager in the entire development process. The second was improving the way development is delivered using powerful experiential methods. The third, incorporating development into an employee's daily work. So regardless of your position in an organization, that position can be a highly effective classroom and laboratory in which to learn and practice better leadership methods. Fourth was ensuring that leadership development is reinforced and supported by all HR processes, including recruitment, onboarding, performance management, and compensation. Fifth was including a critical mass, one-third to one-half of the target population of leaders. And the last was identifying specific outcomes being sought, such as innovation, customer focus, and or profitability. Yeah, and, and from that longer list of possibilities, let me highlight three of them. The one I'd want to particularly pay attention to is involving the immediate managers in the development process. When analyzing data from a study of 61 leaders in the financial industry, we noticed a significant trend. The leaders were asked to describe their manager's level of support for their development plan. And when we placed these into three groups, those who had unsupportive managers, somewhat supportive managers, and very supportive managers. We then asked these leaders to describe the amount of progress 
they had made on their development plans. We asked them the question, quote, I feel that I have moved forward on improving the specific issues on my development plan. Those that answered agree or strongly agree to the question were named as improvers. We found that leaders with very supportive managers were more than twice as likely to feel that they had improved than leaders who had unsupportive managers. And the second one we wanted to highlight today was about building development into the workday. You said, quote, many assume that there is a major distinction and to some degree a barrier between daily work and development. Conscientious employees almost always put their work first and invariably defer their personal development until they find time or have a break. And the result has been that development nearly always plays second fiddle to job performance. Jobs, like, like we said earlier, the, they're the perfect classroom to practice and learn to be a better leader. Daily work and development need to be brought together in closer alignment because they're not competing activities. And development enables us to be better members of the organization and to improve overall performance, end quote. Yeah, and the third one I think we'll highlight is the idea of building leadership development concepts and principles and nomenclature into all the HR systems. The competencies selected to be the bedrock for developing your leaders should not be confined to the classroom or to be seen as one-time events. They should be embedded in the selection, onboarding, performance management, and compensation of all employees. Any student of physics knows that a body at rest requires an energetic force to get it moving. Culture is no different. Getting it to move requires a focused effort that must begin with the organization's leaders. The 90th Percentile and Unconventional Leadership Podcast was written and recorded by Brianna Corin, Jack Zanger, and Joe Folkman, and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you are interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack and Joe, visit our website at zangerfolkman.com. If you like our podcast, tell your friends and coworkers about it, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a great review. We really like to read them. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in our episode details or on our podcast page on zangerfolkman.com.